0: Good morning. Go ahead and uh, open up your worship folder or turn in your Bibles or open up your device and read uh, Mark 4 35 through 41 with me. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And they were filled with great fear, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Uh, I'm having a rough morning. I I woke up this morning, uh, chipper, ready to go for the day. And as I was getting ready... I uh, went to uh, get myself uh, trimmed up, more presentable. Uh, now, some of you are looking at me saying you're hardly ever presentable, uh, and that's okay. But I, I was going to clean up my neck beard here and clean up this little scruff here. And as I was going to do that, I, I went to find um, a clippers that I used to get myself prepared, and then I shave. and, uh, well, I couldn't find them. And then I finally found them, and they weren't charged And so I finally was just like, well, all right, that's it. I'm just going to look rough. I'm just going to, that's the way that it is. And then then I noticed that um, my shirt that I chose to wear today does not have enough buttons. And I'm really sort of fearful right now that I'm going to reveal whether I'm an Innie or an Audi. because it's just sort of right, it's like, I feel like I need to maybe tie it up or something like, and then you'll notice that my, the battery just died, went flat on uh, the mic. And n- not, some of you are like, wow, why did you change that? We didn't have to hear you. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but so it's that, that way, right? Um, I'm sorry, I'm whinging a bit, aren't I? But we've created something that makes us feel better about that whinging. Hashtag first world problems. If you're on Twitterverse or those other things, you've noticed that the world will give out these sort of uh, complaints, these whinges about life the way that it is. And then to make sure that everybody recognizes that I know that it's sort of small and meaningless, we'll say, hashtag first world problems. Like, I'm driving to work and the traffic is bad, but I'm in an air conditioned car that's full of petrol to a job that pays my mortgage, that puts food on my table, but I really can't stand traffic. Hashtag, first world problems. Or I went to my favorite cafe to get a good cup of strong coffee, but they're all on holiday, and so I've got to go someplace else that I just don't like as much. Hashtag, first world problems. Or they've told me that they're going to shut down the water to my house for just a little bit so that they can repair some lines that are going on so I don't get to take a shower this morning. I have to take it in the afternoon. Hashtag first world problems. And the reality is in our lives today, especially where we live, we've got a lot of first world problems. And we like to whinge about it. But we know that they're there, so we cover them up real easily. The title of this sermon is, don't you see me dying over here? (laughs) That's the question that comes out of this passage. Don't you see me dying over here? The way they said it is, aren't you aware that we're about to perish to Jesus, is what they say. So first, let me say this. I understand that, that There are problems in the world. What a good reminder from the Barnabas Fund to know that there are men and women who are literally losing their lives for the gospel. That's not a first world problem that we can just push off. We know that in our own lives that we'll get a diagnosis that we weren't expecting or a relationship that shatters or we'll lose a job or... Our car will break down and then our other car will break down and we can't get them fixed because we don't have the money and life just keeps coming in on us and problems keep happening. And sometimes we want to feel like those men who were in the boat with Jesus and say, don't you see me drowning here, Jesus? Don't you see what's happening? Think about this. Some of them were fishermen. Not all of them. So you can kind of understand why some of them who are not fishermen would be like, what is the deal with this storm? (laughs) But some of them were fishermen. They'd been in storms before. So this had to be a pretty mighty big storm for them to all say. Hey, don't you see we're about to die? What I want to do today with this question and with this passage is I don't want to over-spiritualize it for us and kind of make applications about our lives and the problems that we have, but I, but I do want to kind of step into that a little bit. Because uh, as we read the story, it does give us a, a sense that, um, that we, we need to recognize that problems happen and that there is an answer to those problems, right, even in our own lives today. But I think that there's also some deeper things that it gives us to kind of consider and look at. And so I want to make sure that we reach into that place as well. So, so just to kind of contextualize it for us. What, what's been going on? These men have been walking with Jesus. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him wrestle and, and sort of verbally debate with the Sadducees and the scribes. And, and then he's set them aside and he's taught them parables. Not just them parables, he's taught lots of people parables, but he's explained it in detail, to the men who were on the boat with him. So one of the parables that we've just seen is the parable of the sower. Let me read it to you just for context. He says, listen, behold, a sower went out and he sowed. And as he sowed, some of the seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. And other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let them hear. And then he goes on to explain the purpose of this parable to the twelve, to the men who end up in the boat with him. And he says, Listen, to you have been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside, everything is a parable so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now that's a quote out of the Old Testament. But now he says, do you not understand these parables? How then will you understand all the parables if you don't understand this one? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear it, Satan immediately comes and takes it away, the word, so it's not sown in them. And these are the ones who are sown on the rocky ground. The one who, when the heat of the word, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arise, on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns, They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Then Jesus goes on and he tells them another parable about a lamp under a basket, that you don't bring a lamp into a house and put it under a basket. You need to let it shine. And then he tells them about a seed that grows he says, the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day and the seed sprouts up and grows and he knows not how. And the earth produces by itself first the blade and then the ear and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts a sickle to it and because the harvest has come, he reminds them that the kingdom of God springs up and we don't know how that happens, but it does because God's the one who is sowing. Then he tells us the parable of the mustard seed. (laughs) With what can we compare the kingdom of God? And what parable shall we use then? It's like the grain of the mustard seed, which, when it's sown into the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the larger than any other garden plant and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make its nest in its shade. It says, with many parables he spoke. So they've been sitting there, listening, hearing these things, perceiving them, being told that they hold the secrets to the kingdom, that they're getting revealed what the meaning of all these things are. And all of these things are talking about faith and trust, the receiving of the word, the receiving of that seed, that even if it is just minute and small, receiving it bears fruit of faith within them. And they're on a boat. And other boats are following them, and they're going to the other side. And all of a sudden, they're looking out, and maybe Peter's the one who says, Guys, I'm getting a little nervous. I see a storm off in the distance rolling in. Uh, Some of you have been to my house. I have a great pleasure of watching storms roll in off the ocean. I can only imagine what it looked like there on the Sea of Galilee as the, the clouds begin to bellow. And you see a change of color where there's that beautiful blue that all of a sudden starts getting darker. And darker, and darker, and you begin to feel the wind blowing even more. And can't you hear them? Looking around at one another, and the waves start to get a little bit bigger on that little lake. It starts going up and down, and their boats that, and the fishermen are trying to keep it together because the other guys that are there haven't been on the boat as much as them. And they're like, guys, it's no big deal. It's going to be all right. Whoa. <laughs> Where's Jesus? Fast asleep. Fast asleep. And finally, these men go, don't you care that we're about to die? They wake him up. The storm's not done it. Think about that. The storm has not woken up the Son of Man, the Son of God. What did they have to do to wake him up? Did they just barely touch him? Did they shake him? Can you imagine that? We're about to die. Don't you care? How often in our own lives do we come to a place where things are crashing down on us? It feels like we're going up and all of a sudden we are coming, slamming down in the waves. Rain is pelting us. The world's trouble are overcoming us. We believe that we're about to drown and we cry out, Don't you see that I'm about to go under? Don't you see that I'm about to die? And what does Jesus do? Cease. Wow. Glass. Calmness. And many of us at this point in the story, we want to go, yes, yeah, that's why we're saying this, Lord. That's what we're wanting you to hear. That's what we're expecting. When are you going to do that? And we skip the rest. Because then he turns to them and he says, You still don't have enough faith? Why are you so afraid? One of the things that's most interesting about this that we kind of need to put in our heads as we're looking at this uh, really real-life parable that's going on about faith and lack of it and where it needs to go, this sort of um, real-life example of what the, the parable of the sower is, that's what's happening here, is we need to recognize that for these men who are of the Jewish nation, who are Israelites... Uh, As they were growing up, they would hear great stories of the Red Sea and how it would part and come together. They would remember Daniel 7, who who, when he's talking about the, the four monsters, that those four monsters, these kingdoms that will rise up in his prophecy, they come out of the sea of chaos. That actually for Israelites, one of the things that if they were going to use an analogy or or understand what chaos or evil or trouble was, is they would typically use troubled water. They would use the image of the ocean that was full of turmoil. That thinking about that place where it is uh, chaotic, that, that trouble reigns, that perhaps even evil emanates from. It is from the water. So they would know that. They would have that in in their psyche, in in their hearts, as the storm is making this river come up and down. And what really has been taking place over the last few days uh, for Jesus and the disciples is we have seen uh, the world trying to come to grasp with the fact that the kingdom of God is present. So we see the scribes and the Sadducees and the Pharisees plotting to kill Jesus, because the kingdom of God is present and it's battling their kingdom. We see demons uh, saying, "We know who you are. please don't send us out into the abyss, uh, because they see that the kingdom of God is present. And the disciples who are walking with him, these men who are in the boat, they know that they're with this guy who's causing lots of things to happen and he's teaching them lots of things. But still, at the moment when crisis is really hitting in their life and they feel like they're about to die, their eyes go to them. And not to the kingdom that is present. And in their minds, they're seeing all of a sudden chaos is taking place. In our own lives, the first things that we need to recognize when trouble begins to hit us, one of the things that's most important for us to put in perspective is that we have to have the proper perspective of those troubles. Really, because when troubles hit us, there's a couple of ways that it does. The first way is out of consequence of decisions that I've made. So troubles can come into our life based on the consequences of decisions that I have made right? That's true of any alcoholic or or drug addict. That's true of any person who has made poor decisions. There are decisions that I made. Now, there might be reasons and mitigating circumstances while I made those decisions, right? There might be abuse in my life that's caused by outside forces. We'll get to that. That caused me to make poor decisions that lead me into bondage. So the first thing we need to recognize is that some problems that come into my life are based on decisions that I've made. The second thing that we need to recognize is that there are some problems that come on our lives based on the actions of other people. There is some turmoil that comes into our life based on the actions of other people. So we need to have that in perspective. And the third way that trouble comes into our life is this. And we don't like to talk about it. But the world was created in a way of perfection. And then sin came in and it broke it. And because it broke it, there is things that happen in this world That we have no control over. Paul would even push it a little bit further and say, there are principalities that are above us that are not above God. I don't know what all that means. But what I do know is that God's above them and they're above me and they can cause things to happen. Now, I don't know if that's, I I don't know what that is. Let's be honest with you. I wish I did be really cool. I'd probably write a really good book and, you know, publish it. But somebody else would come up with another one. But what we know is that I can make a decision that causes me turmoil. Other people make decisions that cause me turmoil and trouble. And then there are just troubles in this world. It's good for us to have that perspective because when we enter into that, our tendency is always to blame the other no matter what those are. And so by having the proper perspective, it gives us the ability to have our eyes turned towards Jesus in the right way. So if we recognize this is something that I have done to myself, then that means I need to have repentance. If this is something that I've done to myself, I need to have repentance of the thing that caused those circumstances. That allows me to see Jesus because I come with a broken and contrite heart. If it's something that has happened to me, then that means I need to walk in forgiveness. That means that that even though there is hurt and there is uh, devastation that happens, I need to forgive. That doesn't mean I need to let that person back in my life necessarily. That doesn't mean that there needs to be full restoration with that person. It also doesn't mean um, that I forget it, (laughs) right, that it doesn't inform me in my life, but it does mean that I do need to forgive because that allows me to see Jesus. Because Jesus says, as I have forgiven you, you forgive. And, and in the third place, when, when we recognize that there are just bad things that happen, we need to have their perspective. Even though the response that we're going to get is not going to be one that necessarily is going to give us comfort right away. We need to have their perspective, which is this. Don't you see that we're about to die? <laughs> like it's okay for us to call that out to God. It's okay for us to say, don't you see that we're about to die? See, for them, they're recognizing chaos is happening, and they say, don't you see that we're about to die? And the way that God answers it right away is to calm it. He says, be still. But he doesn't leave us there, because if he just calmed it, when the next trouble came upon us, we would say, don't you see we're about to die? And he would calm it, and then we would say, don't you? He wants us to grow. Jesus doesn't want us to stand in the place where we're constantly in a state of worry, wondering what's the next thing that's going to befall me. What he wants us to do is grow and have faith. And so he says to them, do you still have such little faith? Why are you so afraid? We stand in that same place. Some of us have been walking with God for a while. Some of us for 80 years. Some of us have been only walking with God for a little bit, and some of us are still trying to figure out if we really want to walk along with God. The key to that word is walk. It's a journey. He's taking us someplace. We are growing in our understanding and in our faith. It doesn't stay stagnant, so we don't stay there constantly saying, don't you see we're about to die? We will move to a place where there will be things that hit us that recognize us outside of our control, where we're more apt and easy to walk in repentance or forgiveness more quickly than we have in the past. And when things outside of that hit us, then we have the ability to go, I know God's in control, because that's what they saw. Do you see what they say there at the very end? He says, Peace be still. And then he asked them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Listen, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who then is this? What is happening in this story is we are seeing the majesticness of the incarnation. However long it took them to wake him up, however long it took the storm to get big, however long it was to the place of sheer panic that they felt like they were about to die. Jesus was asleep. That human body that he resided in, that was him fully and completely, was worn out. So much so that he was sleeping through a storm. Now, yes, he's God and he knows what's going on with the storm. But listen, he's flesh. He's snoring, perhaps. Just to make him a little bit more in my image. (laughs) Dead to the world. (laughs) Asleep. Yet the moment he is roused and woken up, he says, be still. Boom. Glass. Oftentimes, when we experience trouble, we don't want that Jesus. We want the Jesus who will come and say, everything's going to be all right, and pat us on the back. We want the Jesus to say, it's not your fault, not your fault, things happen, bad things happen. We want the Jesus who gives us just a little bit of comfort, but we want to stay within ourselves. We don't want the Jesus who has command of the universe. Because when we experience the Jesus who has command of the universe, it requires us to submit completely. It requires us to come completely giving everything that we have, all our assurances in our own self and all the doubt that we have in the world over to him. That we give him because he is clearly showing himself that the kingdom is present and I am the Lord of it. Today we read this passage as our call to worship. I'm going to read the whole thing to you. Because there's that little part, If you if thinking back now, call the worship, very beginning part of the service. We were talking about men and boats and waves and ships and how God comes and cares for them. Here's 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached the city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some, they sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor and they fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He has shadowed the doors of bronze and He has cut into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities they suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Thank, they let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His deeds in songs of joy." Some went to the sea in ships doing business in the great waters and they saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and He raised the stormy wind, which He lifted up the waves of the sea and they mounted up to heaven and they went down into the depths and their courage melted away in their evil plight and they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, And the waves of the sea were hushed. And they were glad that the waters were quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregations, the people, and praise him in the assemblies of the elders. He turns rivers into deserts, springs of water into thirsty grounds, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of the inhabitants. He turns the deserts into the pools of water He parts the the parched land in the springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. And they sow fields and they plant vineyards and they get a fruitful yield. And by his blessing, they multiply greatly and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression or evil or sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless waste. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let them attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. God's ever-pursuing steadfast love is evident in Jesus, who is the ruler of the seas. He is the one who comes for us completely, longing to bring us into whole relationship with Himself, with ourselves, with all others, and with place. That God wants to bring us to a place of fulfillment and completeness, resting in the truth that He alone is God. That He alone is the one who when we are in trouble, can cry out and say, don't you see that I'm about to die here? Because he will not forsake us. He will come to us. Look, if you are here today in the midst of trouble, I cannot guarantee that they will cease tomorrow. But I can promise you this. If you call out to Jesus, he will come for you. It might still be rocky. It might still not seem straight, but he is present and he will come for you. Why do I know that? Because he brought you here. And he put you in a community, a gathering of people who want to walk with you in this. And if you're here and you know that and believe it, be committed to one another, not out of duty, but because it is our response in the ever present steadfast love of God. Let me pray. Lord, if these are not your words, we ask that they burn up and go away. But if they are your words, we ask that they'll take fruit and root deep in our heart and bear good fruit for you. Let us hear you today. Amen.